Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. How you doing? So good. We got a friend with us today. We do. Welcome back to the Wine About Birth podcast. We are three birth professionals and best friends. And we're here to talk about what it's really like to live in the world of birth. It's not all glitter and rainbows. Or as we like to say, it's a lot more shit than giggles. I'm Kim Haynes, midwife at a busy birth center and small home birth practice. I'm Meredith Rout, also a midwife at the same small home birth practice. And I'm Jess McKee. I'm a doula for clients in and out of the hospital and also a birth assistant with you guys at our magical home birth practice. And we have a guest today. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Ooh! <laughs> Do you hear her voice? Sure. Hello. Oh, it's gonna be good. <laughs> I'm Chelsea. I'm mom of three kids. They're eight, seven, and four. Um, I have had two hospital births and one home birth. Um, so very different experiences. And we're so excited to super excited be here with you today in your beautiful house. It's so pretty. Is it I feel like we're recording like we're so used to recording like surrounded by like chaos and yeah. just like I feel very cushy right now. Just, it's so like, calm and all the plants. Bougie. I know. It's very tranquil. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's so quiet. We'll have to see if we can like keep our flow going for a whole episode without interruption. I know. It's going to be like a 12-minute episode. We have, to, <laughs> we have to see if we can keep Meredith talking in her mic because she's already doing a thing where really? she's not. Yeah. It's <laughs> not ever going to happen. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Chelsea we, will do we it. We have a friend here to help. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> She'll help you. We're sitting really close to each other, so it's perfect. Snuggle, <laughs> snuggle buddy. I just yes. need a snuggle through this episode so, that is perfect. i will watch you snuggle from across i have the table. no boundaries so <laughs> you do do what you, you have boundaries. Do. i do i set my boundaries before we began that I love that day she said the first start first my boundaries and i was like wow well this is a really important episode so i think instead of doing the thing we usually do where we talk about like random crap for 10 minutes <laughs> i feel like we should do a whole episode on the last week eventually though we can do that yeah, yeah. um but i think today we should just um dive right in <laughs> like a mug i'm glad you enjoyed that kim does not approve of the use of no. that verbiage on this episode well we're talking about um sexual assault and we are talking about the survivors and how the assault affects labor and birth and even postpartum mm-hmm. and some other things that I would like to touch on later. But um, if it's okay with you guys, I thought I would open with just some statistics mm-hmm. because this is something that we never, I mean, we, some people talk about it, but most don't, but it's so common that it kind of blows my mind on how like elusive the subject is. Um, and we were talking before the episode, Chelsea, and you had touched on how some providers just kind of like pass right over it. And it's like, it's, I mean, I guess it's uncomfortable for people, but so I like to use the CDC for statistics because everybody seems to really like the CDC website. I mean, I love them so much, so much, but if I use them, people don't typically argue. So that's why I do it. Story. True story. So just so that people understand, like just a broad, and these are just, and it's, you have to understand these are people who have reported. So how many people have not reported? I heard a stat today that said for every one reported case, there's at least two unreported cases. Um, but for those who do report, and and I will preface with, if I say men or women, it's people who reported identifying as men, identifying as women, or that's how their medical chart was reported. <clears throat> so more than... 
one in three women and more than one in four men have experienced sexual violence involving physical contact during their lifetime. So, you know, there's four of us sitting at this table, which means at least one of us, possibly two or all have experienced some sort of sexual violence. Um, It's shocking. It starts really early, which when we talk to people who are survivors of assault, they're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I was five or it started for me when I was seven, which to me, it's not shocking anymore to hear that. But one of the three females of rape, rape victims, which they classify that as vaginal penetration, they experience it for the first time between the ages of 11 and 17. And that's just what they can remember. That's just what they report. Mm-hmm. Like there, it, it could be younger. We just don't know. Um, and one in eight is before 10. So that means it's obviously a family member, a friend, or someone they trust. So there's a lot more statistics in there. I'm going to save it. But um, what my, for me, of the four people who are sitting here today, like the idea and, and the message I want to drive home is that most women are raped or assaulted, and I'm just going to say women right now because that's what I'm looking at, by someone they love, by someone they trust, by someone they know. Mm-hmm. So when you have your the idea of consent pulled away from you at such a young and um vulnerable vulnerable age it's it's like formative right like how do you get that back right so then when you look at labor and birth which is such a huge transition for people um it's hard to then suddenly say oh i have a right to do these things the other thing i would like to drive home and have people remember is that if you don't see it in a way that you had your consent removed meaning you were too young to know that it was wrong, so you let it happen. And I, I put that in quotes. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't say no. or There's you, no blame in that. Right. right. Then, then if you consented, it's your fault. So it's either it happened to you without consent or you did consent because you had no idea because you trusted this person. And so it's your fault. So... Not that it's your fault, but that that's there's the that, 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 right, that, that, that is the message. That's mm-hmm. the feeling. And so... These people are going to go on to have children, most of them, with an experience of either you've had your consent removed or you have, quote, allowed these things to happen to you as a child. Like, how do you how do you then have a normal pregnancy and birth? Like, it's not so easy as, oh, I got over it for some Mm -hmm. people. So I just want to say, like, it is so very common. And then almost three million women in the U.S., have had a pregnancy resulting from rape and 26% of those were raped by a partner. Um, 5.2 is an acquaintance, 6.9 stranger, but I'm just saying like it, we do go on. Some of these women go on to have babies after having their consent removed, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you add into that, that for the most part in our culture, especially our medical community does a pretty piss poor job of informed consent and respecting women's boundaries mm-hmm. during labor and birth. And right. it just adds on to all of that. It can, it's like a whole other layer. Yeah. Of not knowing that you have the right to say no to things forever. Yeah. Or the yeah. right to say yes, but could we do it this way? You know, like mm-hmm. this makes me more comfortable. So I guess for me, I just wanted to say, I need everyone to understand that if you are the one in four or the one in two that have never been assaulted, that have never had your consent removed, who have never been told that, you know, this horrible thing is your fault. Like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's amazing. And and you're lucky. 
Um, like we need to shift the story to recognize how common it is and right. be more comfortable in having those difficult conversations. Right. So because we all know somebody who has suffered or struggled. Yeah. And and then the question is, for those of us who have lived through assault or have lived growing up feeling a certain way about our bodies, like can we still experience parenthood? you know, in a beautiful light. And, and if so, how can we help that Ways to happen? to unpack that trauma and change the programming so that we can go on to know that we have the ability to consent and have rights and also instill that into the next generation instead of passing on the trauma. Exactly. Okay. So, um, today we have Chelsea here as our guest. Um, during this first half, we're going to talk about mostly her experiences um, with labor and birth and um, trauma. Um, then during the second half, we're going to talk more in general about birth and trauma. Um, so, Chelsea, is there something that you just want to, like, start by talking about, like, the thing that you would say was the most important thing to you? I know we were talking about, like, boundaries. Um, do you have something that you would like to say about that? Um, the most important thing for me was to be upfront with my providers that I am a survivor of, of sexual assault, um, and that I need them to walk me through any kind of exam that they're doing that is invasive. And I also have to say, Kim is the most magical and kindest person <laughs> that has ever been in my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, my whole life is complete. My whole life is complete. I'm also very thankful that I've gone to learn from her because she has a lot to share and teach when it comes to being sensitive. I feel red. Am I blushing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're as red as those apples over there. <laughs> so you had talked a little bit, and I want to talk about this too, because even in a lot of the emails or whatever we got, we were we got that repeated a lot, like letting your providers know and the things that help or don't help you. But we also have gotten the message that for a lot of people, that's hard to do. Um, can you share a little bit about your experience of how you felt about talking to your providers about your experiences? I think a lot of people just don't want to share it because it is such a deeply personal and vulnerable topic and they don't know how um, their providers might respond. Um and so that's why I think a lot of people avoid it or they just keep shoving, shoving, shoving it down and just pretend like it it's not affecting them. Um, and birth is such a deeply personal and vulnerable position to be in. So I think those two combined can be really difficult. You had trouble talking to some of your providers in y your pregnancies and or not sharing or opening up, you know, fully. Um, which it's always up to everybody to open up to the amount that they're comfortable. Um, but can you share some of the experiences that you've had when you talked to providers about mm -hmm. your experiences, your past experiences? Yeah. So as I said, I've had three, three births, two hospital and one home birth. And um, they were all very different when it come, came to um, – sharing my experience with providers, I kind of just said like a very general, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. I need you to talk me through any kind of exam that you're doing. Um, and really only two of my providers were 
very empathetic and nurturing during that time, like going slow and um, just explaining what they're doing or even just like sitting down with me and saying like, me too, I get it. Um, So with my first, um, I had been under the care of a midwife and I felt very safe with her. I felt very open with her um, because she, she gave me that space to, to feel safe and seen. Um, and then I had to transfer to an OB because I developed um, gestational diabetes. And during my first visit with that OB, she she said, well, you're not being assaulted now, so we don't need to talk about it. Mm. And you could tell she was just visibly uncomfortable, which made me feel embarrassed and uncomfortable. Um, and then in labor, I had seen another OB and she needed to do an exam. And um, I asked her to to go slow and just to help me be grounded, um, in the present moment because, you know, body triggers and all of that. And she said, like, I don't know why you need me to explain what you're doing. Like, you don't need me to explain this. So just totally like trivializing the fact that any of your experience or the fact that you even had boundaries and not, not like creating space for consent in any way, shape or form. Yeah, she made she just made me feel like crazy and invalidated for asking. Um, and as a result of that, it made me feel so much more of a passive participant in my experience. And I just felt out like checked out the rest of the time. Just like do whatever to me. And that's just like one one line. You know what I mean? Like one minute of her life yeah. could ruin, not ruin, but just taint like an entire experience if she had just changed that one minute of verbiage if she had just taken a moment to see you and where you were at and even just listen one word sure sure no problem absolutely there's many we could make a list yeah i hear you i hear that yes (laughs) of course i will there look we just did that that was like the 15 seconds you don't have to relate to be empathetic no no that's what's great like what's so difficult to me it's like you all you have to do is listen even if you don't know what to say right and if you are immediately uncomfortable like if it's a visceral response for you just take a breath and listen like that's such an easy place to start mm-hmm. it is impossible for some i think well so we were sent because we were talking about how often this happens to people and we were sent um you know a suggestion that it was like and it comes down to this it's like even if somebody hasn't shared a history of sexual abuse, um, really the things that we can do if we know someone has a history of sexual sexual abuse, we really should be doing those for everybody because, number one, it's all about informed consent and respecting their body and respecting their rights. And number two, because like, like we're talking about, so many people don't share with their providers that they have a history of that. And no wonder if this is the language that you're hearing when you do try to open up and be vulnerable in a medical community. Well, even if you're, it's just, even if someone doesn't have a history of assault or rape or any of those things, like it's your body. It's a culture of respect. It's you respect someone and inform them and then let them consent. Like you don't have to be, the survivor of something to anybody desert. Like why are, why are we not doing this for everyone? Mm -hmm. Right. So that, that, that just, there was someone, 
similarly to that, who she called me after she went to the ER because she said like she panicked a little bit because she also had a history of abuse. And she was like, oh, my God, do you um, do you have to do a vaginal exam right now? She knew. Yes. But she needed a minute. So you'll pretty much say anything, anything at all. Hey, oh, my God, what color is this guy? Just to get like 30 seconds. And the doctor was like, oh, no problem. I'll just use my x-ray vision. So made like a joke of it. Yeah. And she was like, um, I'll take that as a yes then. And she was like, yeah, I do. I have to do that. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, how hard um, is it to just be kind? I don't understand. But also makes you wonder, like, is there any kind of training going on in the medical field preparing providers for people who suffer, who have experienced sexual trauma? And it doesn't sound like it at all. I know that I've seen the difference between providers, both in the hospital and in a hospital, because I've had many clients that I've worked with who have a history of abuse. And um, I can think one particular client I can remember who the on-call midwife who came in to do her exams when we first got there, like didn't explain anything, was tired, was so rough and so like it was triggering to everybody like her partner had to like sit down because he was like oh i remember you texted yeah. that like oh my god he almost passed out it was horrible and it caused like her whole birth to just stall and then she came in again and did it again and then when we finally got moved into a room um the nurse she had obviously had had some kind of like training in or just was a good nurse and was empathetic and so she was so on point with informed consent and like, let's go through your whole birth plan. Tell me what's so important to you. Like, explain this to me. Even things that were like super normal. It was like, okay, I get that. Let's think of some other way we can handle that. And it made all the difference just feeling like respected. Um, so I want to get back to Chelsea a little bit. Chelsea, how do you feel? Do you feel like... Um, can you share a little bit about like what your birth experiences were and how you, if you feel like your history affected like outcomes or your postpartum or yeah, your perception of like your birth and how you, how you process becoming a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so my, fir- my first two children are boys. Um, I gave birth to them in the hospital. Um, and my youngest is a daughter, and I gave birth to her at home um, on my bedroom floor. Jess was there. <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, for me, anyway. <laughs> and I'll say the moment that I found out my daughter's sex, I had a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Um, never had that with the boys, but just knowing that I was bringing this daughter into the world and I had to protect her from what happened to me was a trigger I didn't really anticipate. Um, And I feel like she just has wrecked my world in the best way possible. Yeah. That was, um, I had put a little asterisk here that, you know, if you haven't had any experience or I don't know how to put it, but it, a lot of people, they find out they're having a girl and it's just like, oh, pink and purple. But the same thing happened to me. Like, as soon as I found out I was having Evie, it was like panic at the disco and, and mm-hmm. all these weird feelings. And 
weird. Like you can't even explain it. It's like anxiety, panic, terror. Oh my God, this is all going to be terrible. But also, is it going to be terrible? And you don't, we don't talk about that. You know, like mm. how do you, how can you have a daughter with that's healthy and has you know, like strong, like that's why I'm so into letting Evie be the complete bitch that she is <laughs> because I'm like, yes, you be you Speak and up for yourself. no one's yeah. going to stop that. And yes, I'm glad you brought that up because that was on here. Like maybe we could talk about that. I just wanted to say that like um, sexual abuse in boys is very, very common as well. Not as common, but that's coming from like our experiences as women that something happened to us and then having a girl then triggers that. Mm -hmm. So it could be opposite for men in the same situation. Yeah. If they, we just don't have experience talking about it. We don't have experience about that. So it's not invalidating the fact that we have to protect our boys or whatever too. But it's that those experiences and our traumas inside of us are so strong that that's what our trigger is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just remember like the ultrasound tech saying it's a female. And I was like, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? <laughs> a what? I'm wholly unprepared for this. <laughs> I was so unprepared. I mean, I I knew it could either be like a boy or not, not a dog. <laughs> it's, it's not a puppy. <laughs> and I like remember looking over at my best friend's face and my husband's face, and they're like squealing in excitement, so happy. And I just felt checked out from reality. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, I wanted a girl. Yeah. Yeah. But the reality. And then I realized I'm not prepared for for this. And it just brought up so much healing that I needed to do within myself. Um, And one of the ways that I've really found empowerment is teaching my children um, correct anatomy. Mm -hmm. Because at the time of my own rape, I did not have the verbiage for what was happening to me. Um. And I always want my children to know, one, they can say no. Two, I want them to be able to describe anything mm-hmm. that happens to them. They're uncomfortable in full detail. Mm-hmm. And also, like, knowing that their body is theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so There's important. Nothing wrong. There's nothing, like, dirty about it or no, wrong about it's like, it. like it's, we have words for it that are appropriate. Right. Because and it's, it's normal. yours. Like, mm-hmm. everything on you is yours. And so you do with it what you want as long as it's appropriate to someone else that has something that's all theirs, you know, mm-hmm. go on. I'm so, you were talking so, uh, about your yeah, births. Let's and then- talk a little <laughs> bit more about your births and, um, and you can pick and choose which births you want to sure. talk about, but like specific instances that you can think. And I know you talked about it when like the providers laughed it off or didn't listen to you when you told them you had had that history, but, or do you have any specific instances in any of your three births where something happened that triggered you or something somebody did that helped you? Um, because it can help people in their future births to know where can I draw lines? How do I stand mm-hmm. up for myself to know that this might affect me or that kind of thing? Yeah. So as I said, Kim was the kindest person who's ever touched my cervix. I would give her a 10 out of 10. She's very gentle. She very gentle. Well, it's also her face. (laughs) That is her face. (laughs) Let me try to look serious. It's like not intimidating at all. You know, they talk about like sights, sound, like things to look at, things to hear to keep you grounded. And her face really just... (laughs) 
is super entertaining to me, which helps me stay grounded. <laughs> me too. <laughs> like Jim Carrey. If I look at him, I don't see anything else that's happening. <laughs> but it's also her just talking. There is no space. There's no white space with she just keeps talking and talking and talking. And so you don't have time to get lost in your head. It is super helpful. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some would call that annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we all have our different <laughs> things that work for us. You just work for me. Aww, I love you. Yeah. And so like the, the first time she checked me, I was like, this is, this is what I've always needed. Yeah. yeah and I felt no not triggered at all with you i felt completely safe that is a huge compliment to a care provider so i love that yeah yeah so for all you providers out there listening uh have a funny make funny faces talk a lot (laughs) (laughs) or be validating kim is just intuitively really good at creating safe spaces so if you're a provider that can do that awesome but if not it might be an idea to maybe check in with your patient and see what they feel like they may need to feel safe in a setting yeah some need silence i can actually Mm -hmm. do that too shocking i know shocking (laughs) (laughs) but i can yeah go on yeah so i talked about all the rainbows and butterflies that kim is but i've also had the complete opposite of the spectrum when it came to um even out of the hospital midwives um so with my Last birth with my daughter at home, I had a really crazy bout of prodromal labor. Um, And my midwife made a comment to me that my brain wouldn't turn off until um, she checked me so we could determine whatever this is, is what she said. You know, your brain's not going to turn off until we figure out whatever this is. Um, And she just said it in a way that was demeaning. And so I already felt embarrassed at that time um (laughs) so she pressured me into a check that I didn't want um this is really hard for me to talk about yeah so I like a vaginal exam it's as slow (laughs) as you need it to be (laughs) here I'll make faces you might might have to talk me through this Kim (laughs) I got you. Mara's going to snuggle and you're going to talk. I'll just keep this too. I'll fill all your blank spaces. (laughs) I'm just going to sit here and stare at all of you clinically. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I felt very pressured into this cervical exam. I told her originally I didn't want it, but I felt like I had to. So I don't feel like there was true consent. I said, okay, but it wasn't something that I was entirely comfortable with. And I would have taken the consequences of not having that. But, um, and after it, um, it was the most aggressive and painful exam I've ever had. I remember like my husband's face, just like eyes wide, just squeezing my hand tighter than I was squeezing his. Like it was traumatic for him too. I felt, my body like keep moving away from her. Like my butt was just like scooting away from her and she kept coming at me. And I kept telling her in the moment that it hurt. And afterwards, after we talked about it, she'd said, no one's ever reacted like that to me. I didn't do anything that I hadn't done test to anyone else. Um, yeah. So after unpacking that 
in therapy over the last year and a half, I realized that it felt like assault to me at that time. And so I just refer to it as medical assault because that's what it is. So to someone who does, who's done hundreds of births, like in that moment to her, the moment was no different. Right. But you have to realize that the person that is with you in that moment might not be yeah. the same right. as it's clearly might like be triggering for some is not, for, is not triggering for others. Right. Right. And I remember telling Jess, who is my doula, I didn't want her there until the very end because I no longer felt safe with her. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I think if I remember correctly. Um, yes, it, it was happening. It, and it even was, when it was like I, a transition yeah yeah even when i told you that i wanted her to come you're like are you sure mm-hmm. are you sure you want her now and i just felt very seen by you in that mm-hmm. time oh i'm glad i was able to help you she I'm does awesome. see people really well mm-hmm. that's why we love her I don't take compliments well though so. <laughs> me <laughs> either now not, you're making know, that weird face eye contact <laughs> I just I'm gonna say look to up. like this obvious like I'm like I know my pride in you isn't as important as your pride in yourself but so you know, I'm so proud of you for like recognizing what you needed and advocating for yourself in that because that was even before you began therapy and started like really unpacking what you have been through and so I just want you to know like how strong you are because you did that for yourself and for your baby thank you I really struggled so much after her birth. Um, in my head, I built it up like it was going to be this glorious po- postpartum because everything had gone on paper like I hoped it would. Um, right down to Kim and Jess dancing in my <laughs> yard with fireworks. That's my favorite. One of the favorite moments of my whole life. <laughs> it's mine too. I still have the sign. <laughs> do you really? I do. Listen, can we, we should, tell that we short version? Yes, yes, we'll get a picture. I think of that. we've already posted that we at some have. point. We have. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we posted the video. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Though. So this was a very momentous birth for you because. Mm-hmm. Um, you had had two cesareans um, and then the, like your second birth, you planned a home birth and had a cesarean. And so when you had your home birth after cesarean, like we were all celebrating. Um, but I think that's a really important point that you're making that even though you did this huge thing and you had that momentous birth and you accomplished that goal that you were still feeling um the way you were mm-hmm. because of some of the things that happened to you during that birth or yeah. because of some mm-hmm. of your past experiences. So the good doesn't take away the right. bad necessarily. Yeah. No, well, I it, felt so confused. Like, why is, why is this happening? Why am I feeling suicidal five days after I've given birth? Like, why am I so anxious? I can't leave my house. Mm-hmm. And you had more than just like the reason I did the whole firework thing was because I had read that so many VBAC moms were like, I just kept thinking, where's the fireworks? Yeah. And then I didn't feel good after my birth. Like, why didn't I feel good? So I was like, oh, she's going to actually get fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. I'm going to wait until eight or nine and then it's happening. But it, that doesn't take away from like what? Yeah, everything else. That moment was fun. But. And. I want to talk a little bit more about what you just said about how you how you felt after your birth. And so you did a really good job um, sticking up for yourself in birth. I don't know if you felt that way, but to like 
set like you told your providers what you had been through you set boundaries you still had a bad experience you unpacked that bad experience but then you still felt that way and I want to talk a little bit about how hard it was for you to reach out for help um, Mm. because that's a very common thing for people too that it's almost like I don't deserve that now because my birth was so amazing or I shouldn't feel like this yeah I feel like every time I started to like barely reach out for help because it's something that's hard for me people would be like well you just got what you wanted like why Mm. why are you sad Mm -hmm. I don't know why (laughs) like in my mind I'm like I don't know why I'm sad I just it shouldn't matter either (laughs) I don't know why I'm sad I don't I don't know why I want to die and can't leave my house like it was the worst it was the worst especially when you're holding a brand new baby like you don't want to leave your baby or your family Mm -hmm. um it's just that you just feel so bad yeah and that's what and that's like the thing that it's for people to understand that that's what sexual trauma can do Mm -hmm. to you like it can come out for different people in so many different ways and so do you have advice for people going through similar situations like um because hearing it it's like for me it's like god I wish I had known she was struggling that hard but for you it was just as much of a struggle so even when you know you have like trusted people do you like have advice for people who might be going through that yeah for someone who's actively going through it even though it's the worst and the hardest feeling to ask for help. Like you have to be specific and you have to be vulnerable. And in that time, it feels so so impossible, right? So impossible. Mm -hmm. Especially when we live in a culture where so much of the messaging towards people trying to be vulnerable is that it's not valid or not relevant to what's going on. Yeah. And for me, it's a lesson too, in that it shouldn't be all your job to do that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like in my personal practice, especially if I know it's like we can think, Oh, she had that great birth. She must be feeling great. She's not saying anything, but it's like, if we know that there's people that have that experience, just be more aware about checking in. Like really, how are you feeling? Like really let me reach out more. Let me do more so that, it feels safer for people to be like, Oh, it feels like it would be safe for me to tell somebody right now how I'm feeling. Um, so that it doesn't have to be all on your shoulders to be the one that's like, let me be vulnerable and tell you I'm feeling this way. Yeah. So I think a lot of that can come from the care provider. Um, with my middle child, I thought I would struggle more after than I did, but I don't think, I don't think Kim let me, (laughs) she, she just, she just like talked every second she just forced me to unpack it and to like (laughs) face things head on tell me how you're feeling (laughs) but also like do you remember when I came to your house like a couple of months after the birth I had like first off I had no idea what you went through with Tucker like you, you had alluded to it, but it wasn't until like we became friends that you were like, and here's what happened with him, you know? And then you had 
Malachi and it was like I had no idea there were other things you were going through I had no idea because I'd come to visit you and I'm like okay we unpack some things she seems to be okay like she's alive yay we're eating this food together but even I had no idea how hard you were actually like trying to process like I had no idea and even listening to all this, I'm like, oh, could I have done more? You know what I'm saying? Like, what else can be done? Um, I don't know. So I'm answer. not blaming my experience with my daughter on my midwife. But <laughs> she did not provide the same kind of support you did postpartum. Oh. She was going through her own issues with loss. And I felt like I had to take care of her at that time instead of her gotcha taking care of me and so so she didn't know what i was going through right right can you speak more specifically to what support was being offered postpartum that felt the most helpful for you i don't know because i didn't really feel super supported but i know if i had reached out i would have gotten it Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're saying like we as providers can as jess was saying like don't assume, mm-hmm. but also as the person, how do you, it's hard, even, even you going through the three different labors and births and postpartums, like it's even hard for you to verbalize what is helpful. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because you can't put it into words or everyone is different or, you know, I think I could have just used somebody to listen and say like, maybe you're feeling this way because of this or like, or just like asking questions to help yeah, you asking questions it. to help me unravel what I was going through instead of, I don't know why you're feeling this way because you got everything you wanted, mm-hmm. but you didn't though. A baby came out of your vagina. That but, happened. That's all I wanted. But right. But that's all you thought you wanted. That's all you thought you wanted. But there's more to birth than a baby coming out of your vagina. That's the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. There's the entire structure of the cake, which we all know the little dowel rods on it in there. It's not going to stand up. So I'm going to fall. And it's a whole nightmare. And then you just have a baby coming out of a vagina on a floor in a disgusting mess. And nobody wants that. Sorry. <laughs> just a, that cake analogy was quite a It just thing. came to me. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah, you didn't get everything you needed. You got what you thought you wanted, but what you needed was missing. And just a guess. And thank goodness your story with your daughter helped you realize what you did need because like you said, so much has come from that. And so it's not necessarily something that you can know in a moment. It might just be something that comes with time or support. So most of our calls to I'm action. I'm so and proud of you. Take a <laughs> tissue. Wipe it. Wipe it away. I just feel like most of our calls to action in this episode aren't about like what moms can do to help themselves or ask for help. It's like how can providers and friends and communities step up more and be more available. And I want to say that um, when you're a provider and you've done hundreds of births and I feel like snuggle her I even I want to snuggle and I'm over here <laughs> and I'm waiting for you to come across the table I'm not gonna do it and I feel like there's providers who are actually like have helped so many people have amazing births and I think that all of us at some point can go to a birth where we're having our own stuff or where we just don't realize and we do create trauma for somebody um, because at 
some point in time, like it, it does happen. I think it's happened to all of us. I've had several women refuse to let me into their birth room. Yeah. It do, I don't work for, I don't work yeah. for everyone. So it doesn't mean that those providers are bad providers. It's more like, how can we do better? Um, and how can we, but also there's a vulnerability in that because I feel like very often, um, we can get defensive and we don't want to unpack with the client our role in their trauma um, because it's like, I've done so much good for all these people. And how can this one thing ruin one person? Yeah. So much. But I think that for, and correct me if I'm wrong for our clients that being willing to um, be vulnerable and, to look at them and be like, tell me how you felt about what I did good and bad and to validate and apologize instead of being defensive, um, can go a long way towards healing for our clients as well and can help us move on and not make similar mistakes in the future Mm -hmm. because it will happen to all of us at some point in time. I know I, one mom that comes to mind like she it was so upsetting to me to hear that I had I mean the way that I handled her labor and her birth I thought was right but she ended up extremely traumatized by the entire thing and so I recognized it and I knew like I played a huge part in this somehow I don't know how but I did and so I had said to her in our visit like you have to tell me what I did wrong or you're going to hold on to that anger and then you're going to hate everyone around you. Like your marriage is going to fall apart. The relationship with your kid's going to fall apart. You're never going to talk to me again, which is fine. But you have to be willing to look at people and say, this is what you did to me that upset me. But I know that's not easy for everyone to do. Um, And she did admit that she did blame me for a huge part of it, but it wasn't enough. Like what's enough? I don't know. It's kind of like an open-ended answer. You know, but if, I mean, it's not something you have to do if you don't feel like it's going to help you, Mm -hmm. but, um, for some people it can. And I think it's more of a call for the providers out there, like to be willing to be vulnerable for people that it would help them, Mm -hmm. um, and be willing to know that we do all make mistakes, like, because that's part of life. I mistake all over the place. I wanted to talk a little bit more about vaginal exams. I know you have another story about that, but um, experiencing a lot of births and especially a lot of like out of hospital births where usually there's providers who are very like emotionally supportive. um, I was taught, I I was thinking about how it is a very common experience for us to have people feel pain at times during vaginal exams. Like even when we're doing our best to not have any pain. Um, but I wanted to talk about how, especially when you know that there's someone with, with a history of abuse, still giving them the right to be like, I can stop at any time. Like you have the control to tell me to stop and I will back away. And you have the control to tell me because like, quite honestly, um, vaginal exams are a tool but they're overused. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of times that we start to feel like, oh, we have to do a vaginal exam. You even use that language. Like I had to get a vaginal exam. And really, how often do you really have to get a vaginal exam? Like there's a lot 
that if we know a person's in a bad state that we could wait Mm-hmm. we could do other things we could wait and see There's what other happens ways to gauge and what's going on in a perfect world that's the case but in our world where there's so many people and there's so much going on and everyone's so busy we just don't have not everyone will get that freedom of like oh no problem let me give you a couple of hours like most people just don't they don't get that yeah you know but even just, I feel like it's giving control back to someone to say like, yes, if this is hurting you, I can stop and we can try again when you're ready. Um, that little bit of control. Well, and the, and I just want to add in like any care provider, like if you are caring for people having babies, like you're seeing their most, I mean, you're looking at their vagina. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you have to be able to tell if someone's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So there are mm-hmm. most of people, most People who I go to check are very okay with it. I'm like, if you're okay with it, we'll do this. And they're like, okay. But if they're like, oh, God, uh, like if you can't tell that mm-hmm. or you don't care enough mm-hmm. to change what you're doing, like mm-hmm. you are in the wrong position. That's just my opinion. You shouldn't, like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be, be there. Like, babies because most people are fine with, with a vaginal exam or okay with having their belly measured or fine with whatever. But if someone Mm -hmm. looks at all uncomfortable, like it's your job to make them comfortable. In one of our emails, someone pointed it out. They were like, um, to have someone around, even if it's your partner or your doula that you can talk about to be like, this is what I know I do when I'm triggered. And that can be something different for everybody. A lot of people just like freeze. But if you have been in tune with them, you can tell they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereas otherwise that maybe like you said, you became like disembodied and just, I forget the language you use, but like floating floated above yourself for the birth. Um, but if you're paying attention, you can see that that's happening. And then even if you're not saying stop, don't cause you're not feeling that you can like picking up and being like, Oh, are you feeling uncomfortable right now? Let's give this a couple Let's minutes. wait a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell your story about, because it goes back to talking about provider attitude and all that. <laughs> yes. I actually think the story is We're laughing funny. because we heard the story <laughs> I'm earlier, sorry. It is, so. it's, it's not funny. <laughs> it's not funny. But, but to the point that it is. Yeah. So with my middle child, um, I was transferred from home to the hospital to give birth because my baby was not coming out. <laughs> and the doctor walked in without introducing himself and said, so are you ready for your C-section now? And he was just a total bully. And I was like, this guy's not checking me until I get an epidural. Cause at that point I knew I probably was going to have a cesarean. And so I said, I'm not comfortable with you checking me until I have an epidural and can't feel it. And so he, <laughs> folded his arms over his chest and rolled away on his little stool. And <laughs> then he hit the wall <laughs> and pouted yeah. like a little toddler because I wouldn't let him in my vagina. Damn it. Little Everyone Dr. just wants baby. to be in there. Chelsea, he's like, just let me in your vagina. <laughs> What's the big deal? Like so oh, much entitlement God. there that I don't even know where to start. Or like I'm allowed to touch your vagina if you want me to or if you don't. Like, mm-hmm. but... Like my pap story, the doctor that I saw in Woodstock was amazing. But because of intention and language and awareness, like it's so, so you important. can be, you can be good. I don't know. 
and wording like choose like we we're talking about this a minute ago like choosing words that portray understanding and respect makes such a big difference yeah he could have just said sure just one word no problem huge difference okay whatever you need you just yeah. let me know Let's keep going. Because it wasn't an emergency situation. No. Not at all. It was the opposite. That kid hadn't been coming out for how long? <laughs> he sure as hell wasn't just falling out he once you got there. It was 24 hours. Comfortable. Oh, God. <laughs> I forget how long it was. Now she's having flashbacks. <laughs> <sighs> so it's time for us to go to break. This is going to be like a really long episode, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um... When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other things people have said, and we'll add in some of Chelsea's thoughts and feelings on that. So we will see you soon. Hear you soon. Talk to you soon. Cue the music. Oh, yeah. So our sponsor for today's episode is once again our Teespring shop. Do you love cute shirts with birthy sayings on them? Do you love our logo? Would you love to have a mug or a bag with our logo on it? Well, if you like any of those things, then our Teespring shop is the place for you. Um, We will put a link to it in our posts on social media, um, but it's the Wine About Birth Teespring. So check out our Teespring shop and um, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Cheers. Welcome back from that delightful break. It was really delightful. It was lovely. We talked about a lot of things. Oh my God, it was so much fun. We had a lot of... a lot of different options for alcohol. Yeah. We had a lot of laughs to like, you know, bring us up from this. It's all about balance. Heavy topic. Or bring it back in. Chelsea may never talk to us ever again. (laughs) She listens to our podcast. This is nothing new. I've listened okay. to every episode and I'm still here. You're still here. <laughs> I forget. Miracle. I forget people actually listen. It's like we record and then mm-hmm. I forget about it. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, oh, I listen. And I was like, weird. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. Why? A, I'm going to write it right back in. But I had a consult yesterday. And during it, I do what I usually do. And I was like, so do you have any questions for me? She's like, well, we listen to your podcast. I feel like I know everything about you already. So not really. No, <laughs> not really. Awesome. We know all and your she secrets. goes, we just wanted to actually meet you to make sure you don't seem crazy in real life. And I was like, <laughs> there's still time. Did you ask him if that means that you seem crazy on the podcast? No, no. you don't ask those questions. No. You just let it go. I was just like, well, they hired me. So I guess I don't seem crazy in real life. And or at least not crazy. Your enough. hair's doing the crazy thing. It words. is, girl. You got some horns going it's on. Like, weird, like horns. Like baby hairs curl around mm-hmm. my head. Yeah. It's happening. I'm really enjoying um, it. So I wanted to start back into this topic to talking about, I feel like there's like some big misunderstandings and how we process trauma. And I know you were talking about this, Kim, before we even started. Yeah. um, About how this is not just something with your brain. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of people who have went through traumatic experiences and the memory, while it is stored in their brain and their nervous system... Um, they can't actually remember it mm-hmm. on a mm-hmm. normal it's our level. Body's protective measures from trauma, but it's more of a physical experience. It actually the the physical act gets stored in our bodies, and it's not. And you were saying this, it's not um, what the act was 
or can be connected to that, but it's the emotions it evoked Mm -hmm. at the time or the body response it evoked at the time it happened. Yeah. So any sort of trauma, like we talk about PTSD all the time and it's so weird to hear like, Oh, your event, somebody like touched your butt on the way by, like what's the big deal? But it has nothing to do with what the, what the actual act was. It was the emotion and how you're feeling on the inside is what it triggers the trauma. So to one person, it's not a big deal, but to someone else, it's like the worst thing that's ever happened to them. So we just have to remember that the feeling that is evoked during the event is what is stored mm-hmm. and it will always be there. And it's not our job to like create judgment about like what they're responding to, but more important to create space for how they're feeling about it. Like it might not make sense to you, but that doesn't mean it's not valid and important. But it's interesting the way those memories are stored because it's like, there are massage therapists who specialize in releasing trauma and they can massage a muscle in your back or your thigh, like somewhere that could be completely unrelated to what happened to you. And a person who wasn't thinking of anything could end up sobbing on a massage table. So it's just talking about that. And and I experienced it when I did my spinning babies um, training the first time because we did like a fascia release and during the fascia release, she was like, sometimes people cry for no reason during these because there's like release. body memories in your muscles and your cells and your fascia. And so when we're talking about things being triggering, it's not necessarily just on an emotional or mental level. So you were talking about your vaginal exam and it being triggering. And then you said during the break, I think it activated a body memory. Um, and so when that body memory gets triggered, all those uh, feelings and the cascades of, and we talk about hormones so much that happen during that can mm-hmm. come rushing back. It's like all connected. And so that's where it's like to remember that it might not be something that you did different. It might just be that person had a body mm-hmm. memory that was, and maybe the words you combined with it, it's all. I know you want to say something, so just dive on in there, Chelsea. <laughs> Are you guys going to say it? Like a muff. <laughs> so you did give us permission to make sex jokes on this episode, so we're going to go for it. Some humor. <laughs> I think it's important to remember that every human experience is different, and what causes trauma for one may not elicit a trauma response from the other. Um, there's also a really good book that I have been reading called The Body Keeps the Score. I don't oh, know if you yeah. guys have. Yep. Um, heard of it or read it but it talks about how uh, memories are stored in the fascia like you talk about um, and how you can do like somatic therapies to rewire your brain Mm -hmm. Um, like yoga walking massage um, and then like vagal stimulation Mm -hmm. um, breathing exercises to like bring you back into your body yeah which is really cool does that also focus on like how you can take what is typically a negative response and like make it positive, you know, like if there's something that's, that's triggering per se, is there a way to make it not so? Yeah. You know? Yeah. One of the ways they talk about is through EMDR and I have gone through EMDR, but I can't explain, explain how it works. Right. Right. It's like utilizing the right and left brain hemispheres and recalling the memory and basically just, taking away the painful stimuli so that you can remember the event it's not erasing it but it's taking away like the body memory 
associated with it. So it's not traumatic when you recall it. Well, you I did a really like, good job explaining that. Yeah. Actually, I feel like <laughs> so often, especially when it's um, events that happen to you at an impressionable age, the problem is, is that especially if you go into protection mode and you bury mm-hmm. it, um, you can keep getting triggered by something that you don't know what you're getting right. triggered by. But it's like we've even talked about this, like we were talking about during the break, during like rebirthing or like we talked about it during Karen Strange's class, like how children who had traumatic events happen during their birth. You might notice that they throughout their even before they can talk, do the same thing over and over and over. And you start to realize, oh, they are reliving what happened to them as a way to process it. And so my understanding has come to be that if you can if you get stuck at that age, you're still processing it at Mm -hmm. that age Mm -hmm. you were when it happened. So if you can tap into it and process it like, okay, now I'm an adult. Let me process it as an adult instead of a Mm five-year-old or seven-year-old. Yeah. A lot of times when you experience sexual assault or anything traumatic in childhood, your, your brain will disassociate from the traumatic event that's happening to you Mm -hmm. as a form of protection. And you may not, remember in full what happened to you or at all you just may be triggered by anything somatic that happens to you um will elicit a response and it may seem like it's like coming from left field like you don't know what's happening Mm -hmm. and then in labor you can go through the same like dissociation um experience where you're just like frozen in your body or you don't even feel like you're part of reality and so Mm -hmm. moms may seem like just checked out yeah. And that's a sign that they may be triggered. Yeah. And that there is something that triggered that those mm-hmm. body memories, yeah. even if they don't know what they were. And so when it comes, then it's coming down to is like, not just that that is there, but how do we help people who could be experiencing that? And part of it is like what we were talking about of being like really checked in and realizing like, if someone experiences or is not what you would typically expect from someone experiencing something like that in labor and just maybe checking in and being like, how could I handle this differently? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it gets harder if it happens. I've had several moms that, that are super like chill and they're open about like their whole life and there's no sexual assault history whatsoever. And then in labor, it is mm-hmm. so uh, like so apparent. Right. And, and I'm just, it's so unexpected and it's always like kind of a shock. And then I'll ask their partner, like, was there, is there a history that I don't know about? Because if so, now would be the time that it would be helpful. And they're always like, I, I have no idea. And I don't know why she's acting that way. So it's like, in that moment as a provider, I don't know that there is a whole lot you can do because if there hasn't been previous discussion, they don't know what's going to help them either. You know what I'm saying? Which is so why you take universal precautions and treat everybody as if it's a possibility with the case, like in case they don't realize what's happened. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how, like we're talking about how different everybody's perspective of that is because I've had some people reach out and say, Um, in my brain and in my body, giving birth was an empowering experience that was completely separate from what somebody else did to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it actually was healing for me. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people who it re-triggers all Mm -hmm. of those It's so individualistic. 
And so maybe we talk about like what to do to help. Maybe if you, if you recognize that you are going to need really individualized care to help cope with what you're dealing with, yeah, with your history, then maybe it's a really good idea to find a provider who can give you that individual care and like be subtle, like notice those subtle changes in you during labor yeah. that give them a cue of what's going on and how to respond accordingly. I wanted to read a section from something somebody sent us. Um, she was talking about being upfront with providers um, and talking a lot about consent, talking you through the process, which is something you said, Chelsea. Um, she also said, I did a lot of tests myself, mm-hmm. um, like for GBS, um, which is a swab, a vaginal swab that's used to test for bacteria. Um, I even taught my partner how to check for dilation and measuring my belly. Um, so like helping them feel more in control of the situation and who is like helping them. Um, having someone who understands when you're triggered, which is what we were talking about. She said like freezing, et cetera. And I really liked what she said here, asking for a moment alone Mm -hmm. to get back to feeling safe, um, which is so important. So like you, when you were having your vaginal exam, that was feeling like really triggering that body memory and making you feel very unsafe. Like if anyone in the room had realized that that was happening to you, like, just having a moment to number one, be able to say like, no stop or having that moment to regroup and feel safe. Um, and you kind of say like, get your feet on the ground, like feel centered where you're at. But then she also said, reminding you that you're safe. And so we had a conversation, Kim, during break about how people, sometimes we remind them at certain points. And so one big point we talk about that can be like super triggering is um, when the baby really first starts to drop down into your vagina when you're Mm -hmm. about to start pushing. Mm -hmm. And I can always tell when a person is starting to feel it Mm because their eyes like they'll have a contraction and their eyes will just be like, yeah. And I always know what they're feeling at that moment. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. And I like to say during that moment, like, that pressure is normal and that pressure is safe and that pressure is going is what's going to bring your baby out. Mm-hmm. So like reminding people that that's some, that's safe space. It's not something dangerous. Yeah. I always, um, almost always tell moms that they're going to feel pressure because even if you're not, I you mean like before it happens, before it happens, yeah. it's like, but that's just my style. And I know not everyone does it, but for me, like even when I was having Brock, it was like, and I told you, Jess, like, could you guys just remind me that everything's normal? Like over and over. You can't say it enough. I know it's stupid. I know, like I know. Well, that wouldn't my work job. for Brock because you knew something wasn't normal. I knew something wasn't normal, but you, I still wanted to be lied to. <laughs> <laughs> lied to I was me. about to make a comment about informed consent, um, but that just went out the window. <laughs> it's hard when you when it's the midwife in labor because nobody wants to like say anything or do anything. But like just knowing in advance, like, hey, you're going to start to feel some pressure. And it's and we talk about it prenatally, too. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like you got to poop and then mm-hmm. it'll feel like your vagina is... There's a lot of pressure there. So then reminding them people in that moment because there's so much going on. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just like it's nice to know. Um, And so for a lot of moms who have a history, I like to just remind them several times, like you're always in charge. Like as soon as they feel that pressure, I'm like, remember, this is your baby and you're in charge and we're going to do this however you want. Like, Mm -hmm. we'll just let it roll. If you don't want to be here anymore, we don't have to be here anymore. Like no matter what's happening, you're in charge. And that to me it would be helpful to me to hear that. And so it seems to work to help women through that 
pressure because that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you want a vaginal a birth or not. Lot. It's a lot of pressure. I was saying too, this episode is really like helping me reassess like how I want to approach things because when I was like reading a research article about um, like how sexual abuse affects pregnancy and birth, one of, one of the things that they were saying was that um, like if you, if a mom is like, you know, feeling that pressure or is at a point in their labor and you say like, try to relax, like release control, let go, let it happen to your body. Like that can actually be really triggering for people because it means they have to let go of control. And so when I say those things, my intention is to encourage them to let go of control so that their body can allow birth to happen. But I realize now like how triggering that can be for Mm -hmm. people. And so like, hopefully that's when your individual care comes into play that you know the person well enough even if you don't necessarily know that they have a history or they don't even know necessarily that they're being triggered that you can like read their body language and know like what language is going to help them in that moment well chelsea you said when we were talking about that that for you that would be triggering for Mm -hmm. a completely different reason i know you were talking about earlier how when you're feeling triggered you kind of get lost in your head it's like your head is just spinning and so I don't, do you want to share why that, so that could have triggered you if someone said that to you? Oh, and then the swamp monster story. <laughs> okay. I think it's all the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It was all the same conversation. Yeah. So I was saying that something like relax or, you know, let, let go or like whatever would make me feel like I'm not in control. Like I'm not doing it good enough. Um, so instead for someone like me, giving me space is what really helped me during my last birth, um, at home. So I felt like my jewel and husband had done all the things, all the butt rubbing, all the encouraging. (laughs) And when I felt the most relaxed was when they just pretty much gave up. And just let me do my thing, which was thrashing. <laughs> they in the did pool. not give up. They <laughs> just <laughs> gave you space. Swamp monster. I'm going to say for the record, you did not look relaxed at <laughs> that point in time. I don't think I was relaxed at Swamp any point. Swamp monsters don't look very relaxed, no. I feel like. There was a lot of sloshing and loud noises. Very loud noises. <laughs> yeah. But Kim. You did the same thing with Brock. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. I sloshed and rolled. Sometimes and you just got to freak the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you, when you are out of control, like that's the whole thing. Like if you control seems to be the thing that is the hardest to relinquish. And, and, it, and it's not just like assault people. It's OCD people. It's people Type that, a people. right. Like if you, if you don't have control all of a sudden, it's like, now what do I do? You know? So it's like, how do you convey to someone you are still in control when really, no, you're not, not really. But, and you know, you're not, but there could be a more helpful way to say it instead of saying like, you have to relax or saying like release or do this. Like, do you think it would be more helpful instead of that saying, it's not that you're not doing it right, but saying like, why don't you try to like relax this butt cheek and you haven't thought about doing that before, giving you something to focus on so that you're not doing it right. But it's like, hey, let's try something else to see if that helps you. And if it doesn't, then that's fine. Do you think that would have helped? Or Yeah, so something just popped up to me that I remembered that someone did for my second birth when I was laboring at home was she just touched my forehead and mm-hmm. just like, mm-hmm. I don't even know if people do like the Sandman. Mm-hmm. She just touched my forehead. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize that I like, 
looked so stressed because mm-hmm. you were like scrunching your face. Yeah, because I was like scrunching my face, and she just like touched my forehead, and it it didn't make me feel judged. Just um, drew attention just, to your the. F- it just drew attention to like, oh, I probably should re- like you know try to relax oh, my body yeah. or so, yeah. or your jaw. And sometimes I'll do that if somebody's like, like scrunching their shoulders. their shoulders. I'll just like so like. Yeah. Rub mm-hmm. down from their neck to their shoulder. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, now you can feel my shoulders are tensed. I didn't notice that. And then it's like, oh, there they are. There they go. Yeah. Yeah. So like talking about people's like touch boundaries, maybe like before labor and then seeing if like they respond better to that or to words and like what, you know, what made better choice for them. Yeah. And we talked about that, too. I wanted to talk about how I, I remember when I was your doula um, in your last pregnancy that we had a lot of conversations prenatally about do you know of specific words or actions Mm -hmm. or anything you could think of that you know is triggering to you right and so we had conversations about that but then it was also like we kind of talked about how like you don't know what you know until Mm -hmm. you know it like Mm -hmm. you thought all you needed was for a baby to come out of your vagina and to be happy but then it was like that was actually the bare bones of what you needed, and then all yeah, the other it was things almost you like really the foundation, needed. Yeah. yeah, of like everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And so then talking prenatally, like if at any point in time anything any of us are doing is triggering you, that it is a safe spot mm-hmm. to be like, like I'm not going to be offended if you say, I don't like how you said that, or I don't like how you're touching me, or I don't like, like that's okay, mm-hmm. um, because people worry about hurting other people's feelings and i wouldn't Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say that's the normal unfortunately like most people probably would get defensive or you like Mm -hmm. are in a medical system or even like a hospital provider that's not going to create space for that and not validate it but i have to say that's like what we need to shift so strongly is like making safety and vulnerability for providers as well normal I think some providers just take it personal like a personal attack on their Mm -hmm. character their skill yeah they just have to step back and remember it's not about you. It's, it's not, not about, about you, you. You're here to Take be a service. Take the ego out. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard for anyone. If someone looks at me and goes, I hated it when you said that. Like, it just made me so angry. I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm. You and know, that's like, okay. that's it's like okay to feel that way. But then it's like, sorry about ground that. Ground yourself in it. Yeah. yeah. Oops. <laughs> I did that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm saying this and I would be the worst at doing that. <laughs> Well, but I also recognize how healthy that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anytime I've attended someone in the hospital, I've noticed that when, cause some people do just say, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Like, nope, I would like to do this. That anytime that's been said, it's been respected. They might pout and wheel away on their chair, but then you still get what you want, right? In that moment, like you can say no. It's just hard for some of us to get that word out. So maybe if you can't say no, have someone like Jess with you who can, or your partner should be able to do it because in, you know, the hospital, they're not all bad. They just, they run in a certain way and every single person's the same. So when they have someone new and they're like, no, it's like, what, what do I do now? But Mm -hmm. then they'll think about it and they'll figure it out. So you just have to, we have to take birth back ourselves also and not put all the pressure on other people because we can do our part as providers, but I need you to tell me like, if you do this, I'm going to freak out. Okay. I will not do that. Like I had a mom say, if you tell me that I'm beautiful in labor, I'll fucking, I'll punch you in the face because labor's horribly (laughs) ugly and disgusting and (laughs) it's so dumb. And I don't know why anybody calls it beautiful. And I'm like, I get that. 
So I didn't. I don't get that. I disagree with that. I didn't tell but her. But I would not say that to her if she asked me to not Right. And thank God I didn't. I'm glad she told me because she ever, but she would have punched me in the face. It wouldn't be the first time. It wouldn't. I know. I got you punched, in, punched the in the face. You have punched in the face before. Yeah, it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and in the moment it didn't, but later I felt it. <laughs> Yeah, I think sometimes the responsibility does does go on the client or the survivor of um, any kind of trauma to set their boundaries, Mm -hmm. which can be really hard because you have a hard time trusting yourself after someone has violated your space like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, because it's your you don't you have to remember that consent is something you have the right to have and that you're worth it also. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you lose all that. You lose your worth and you lose what's normal to most people. I wanted to talk a little bit about birth planning and uh, sexual assault survivors because I know in my experiences of being a doula, um, so we're talking about how these memories are stored in your body and when they get triggered, you don't feel safe. And we talk all the time about how in order to give birth um, as optimally as possible, you have to feel safe because if you're not feeling safe, you're going to be releasing all the hormones that don't make us birth well and make us be in more pain and just stop labor altogether. And so I've had several experiences like the one I was talking about where someone who was laboring and up until that point felt safe and was dilating and was doing all the things they're supposed to do And then they have one person come in and check them and now their body's triggered. Their body no longer feels safe. Even if their brain's like, I know I'm in a safe place. Their body no longer feels safe. Their body is releasing enormous amounts of adrenaline that you can't talk yourself out of. Um, And so I've seen lots of labors and we had someone send us a story about labors where people who have experienced sexual assault um, have a really hard time dilating because their bodies are getting triggered in that way. Um, there's some people who feel safest out of hospital, not having, not having intervention. Um, and then there's other people who, what they need to feel safe and for their body to do what it needs to do, they need like an epidural and to, Mm -hmm. So I've experienced both ways. Some people get an epidural and it makes them feel more out of control and triggered. Mm -hmm. Some people get an epidural and they could have been laboring for 24 hours with nothing happening. And then within an hour, their cervix is complete and they're pushing out their baby. And so I also think that there's really something to be said for not like for us, lack of judgment, which for birthing people in general but also for the mom herself. Like yeah. if you're a survivor of sexual assault and you don't really know what your body's going to do when it's doing it, like we can do everything we can to make you feel safe. And even if you've planned like a beautiful out of hospital birth, there might come a point in time where your body just doesn't mm-hmm. feel safe and it's not doing the thing because, and it's not anything you can control with your brain. Right. I had a panic attack the other night and I was laying in bed and my brain was going, well, this is stupid. <laughs> You're so stupid. Can what you the just hell? stop? But my body was like, nope. So, it's a, so what you're saying is you need to allow grace for the unexpected. Exactly. exactly because. Mm-hmm. And even if it doesn't go according to your plan, does it make it any less powerful? Yeah. Because supporting your body and what it needs to do what it needs to do 
is powerful is in itself powerful yeah i don't know if you have anything to say about that having all your experiences because you felt power from being able to say even though you were planning an unmedicated out of hospital birth saying no you can't touch my vagina until after i have an epidural it was taking back some of that control yeah that experience was actually really empowering and his response was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> but being you're able like, to well, say like, dumb. no, you're not touching me until I can't feel you touching me. You know, it was really empowering for me. Um, and I wish I felt so much that much empowerment during that cervical check with my last baby. Um, but yeah, you just have to, you have, you have to know your boundaries, be strong in them and be flexible because you never, sometimes you just don't know what you need mm-hmm. in the moment too. That's such a good point. Like you have, you have to be flexible and you might think, you know, but we don't, sometimes we do, but, um, sometimes we don't. I had a mom that had had more than one cesarean and she had a home birth Well, she was wanted a home birth and her doula didn't seem to understand that because we had talked a lot about her history and she started pushing and which she had never done before. And I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, she's pushing. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then I, I was talking to her and she started pushing and then she did the thing where she disassociated completely and you can see it. You could just see it. Her eyes just glazed over. And then she said, I'm done. Take me in. And I said, okay. And the doula was like, this is so stupid. Just tell her to push. Like, what are you doing? Her baby's going to come out. And I was like, we're going to the hospital because that's what she wants. And she was like, this is so dumb. This is so ridiculous. And she did. She, they wheeled her in because she had had a cesarean before they wheeled her back with that baby coming. Like that baby was coming and they still did a section because the hospitalist on call didn't do VBAC. If it was anyone else, she would have had a vaginal birth. But then later I had to take the doula aside and say, I don't think you understand how this works. If a woman tells you that she wants something, you give it to her. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that baby would have came out on her bed, but she would have been more traumatized by that vaginal birth than she was from her cesareans. And some people truly just don't understand that. But, but now that doula does hopefully. And it's also, and then the mom was so grateful. She was like, I've never been happier to have a cesarean. I'm like, great. Mm -hmm. Like fantastic. And it's also, I just shushed you. No, I just want to say she wasn't (laughs) happy that she had a cesarean. She was just happy Happy that that I respected what she asked for. But afterwards she still was okay with the fact she had a cesarean. Right. Because it was her choice. Like, well, she definitely went through, she did definitely went through the process of maybe I should have just waited. Maybe this, maybe that. But I think we all do that no matter what. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line was like, she was calling the shots the entire time. And sometimes you, that's what you need, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I was thinking that's like, it's also, it's such a fine line because we have clients who we support, whether they're sexual assault survivors or not, who we know that at some point they're going to say, I can't do it or I don't want to do it. And so it's knowing the difference between they really mean that or Mm -hmm. they want more support, um, which is such a hard fine line to, but if you know, you have someone who's had, and you see all those signs of like, you know, blanking out, then I don't know. It's, it's just, I also have to hope that's part of the reason why we've all been like called to birth work, right? Is because like, obviously it takes experience and time to learn to like follow those cues. But like, I've seen you 
really encourage women to stay when they want to go. And there was something in that that told you that that was what they needed and like what was they were going to have a positive outcome out of hospital. And they you know? were so happy for it afterwards. Right. And so I, anyways, I'm just saying like, I feel like there's like an intuition sometimes to they it don't. that like That's, hopes that you're called to, like, yeah. to make those decisions with people. Yeah. And knowing that if someone is absolutely at the end of the rope, which we always know if someone's absolutely mm. like, no, I feel I'm like you see going. that not all the time. I've missed it before, but usually it's like, yeah, take her in. Like they're gonna run out of the building naked. Yeah, if you don't help, that's them what I almost did with Brock. Building. If they had an L and D ward in Woodstock, I would have left the building naked and marched my ass there. <laughs> the only <laughs> thing that stopped me was that there was no L and D. Yeah. And I knew they would just put me in an ambulance and take me to Winchester. And I was damned if I was going to Winchester. <laughs> <laughs> not happening. <laughs> that was not happening. Anyway. And oh, here my. we are. Yes, here we are. Um, so I wanted to just, there's a couple other comments I wanted um, to talk about that people sent us. Um, so a lot of people talked about my need for control over my body and choices, um, that it actually helped them in processing their own assault and what they went through, like reliving their boundaries of being able to say yes or no to something. Um, and that also sometimes when you're giving birth, it also, even when it's hard can be some people talk about that they process their assault through that, which is a, a whole lot of stuff to happen. It would be very overwhelming. I can't imagine. Um, I can't imagine. <laughs> um, another person brought about that their providers were awesome, but she very specifically said, I remember very distinctly being asked if I was okay with touch at every single appointment. It was very reassuring and helped build a lot of somatic trust. And so, again, we talk a lot about vaginal exams because they seem like more overtly sexual but even small touch like measuring your fundus touching your belly for some people that could be triggering Mm -hmm. so asking like is it okay if i touch you like yeah well also by asking repeatedly i feel like you're creating a new normal Mm -hmm. right like you're breaking this pattern that they've had in the past where like they didn't have control or consent over their body and so even if you feel confident they're going to feel comfortable you touching them it doesn't it's never going to hurt to ask because you're creating a new normal yeah when you do that you're literally helping them rewire their brain yeah Every single time mm-hmm. I go by the woman, like if she lifts her entire dress up and like, woo, <laughs> and then lays down and they're just like sprawled out. I'm like, that's cool. Now I'm going to touch your baby. And they're like, oh, okay. But otherwise, like slowly, if like, they just lay eat. there, I'm like, may I? And they're like, okay, great. Like it takes, yeah. may I to mm-hmm. may I, or even just like, are you counting how many one syllables? Second. <laughs> two <laughs> syllables, one second. Even no, I was seeing if it was two seconds, but it wasn't, it was just one. <laughs> Even getting like even to the point where it's like some people lay down and lift up their shirt, but they have that like big like uh, pregnancy flap over the, from their jeans, yeah. and being like, "May I push down your pregnancy maternity, flap? the maternity jean thing, the maternity jean thing? What is um, that called? That's an unfortunate phrase. A belly band on a jean mm-hmm. panel, a belly panel." Uh-huh. Pregnancy panel? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Pregnancy. Well, I was envisioning a flap of skin when you said that. <laughs> or like a fupa. Fupa! I like when women Do like... Do that out? No, they no. grab it and they lift it up. They're like, let me move my curve for you. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> Don't you. threaten me with a good time. I was talking move about... Move it. So you got your sex jokes on this episode, Chelsea. 
<laughs> no, I was talking about the 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 panel of clo- cloth that goes on maternity pants and just being able to say like, is it okay if I also pull this down so I can feel your belly? Yeah. Thanks for bringing us back, Jess. You're welcome. I try something. It's a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like bringing yeah, yeah. a bunch of cats. <laughs> but it's nice just to be asked if you care. Yeah. Can I? Or I just talk through it. I'm going to do your blood pressure. Next is blood pressure. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. It just makes all the difference in the world to know what's going on. And, to, and just to know that your provider cares about your experience of what's happening. And mm-hmm. it's not just doing like, it it's not like just a zombie. Rote. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit more before we end out the episode about processing as soon as you can, which is so hard for people because Chelsea, you were saying it's so much easier. And I know that too. I do it in my life. We talk about it all the time, just buried in that deep, dark hole. Into the hole. Exist there. The hole just eats it up. Nom, 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 nom. And yeah. then it's gone. Yeah. Forever. Yeah, that's how it no, works. It actually <laughs> just it blows up like a geyser. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> nice try. I see, I see a Mount St. Helens in my future. <laughs> a big one. And we'll be right here <laughs> to support you. But I wanted to hear what you had to say because it took you a long time. Like, can you talk a little bit to your experience about like therapy and mm-hmm. helping you and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So my daughter turns five next month and mm-hmm. I'm still processing her birth. Mm-hmm. I mean, are we ever done processing our birth? No. Nope. No. Well, you're always a mom, so no. <laughs> yeah. That's why mother-in-laws tell their birth stories when their daughters are giving birth because we're always processing our births. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Or yep. threatening the midwife. <laughs> That's usually mothers. That's on our on our future episode, parents' perceptions <laughs> of birth. Yes. Yes. Um. So I think some things that are helpful to do if you're pregnant and planning a birth or if you're thinking about having a baby, one is to unpack your trauma before. Mm -hmm. Um, Therapy is great. EMDR is great for PTSD. Um, And then learn your boundaries, which you can do in therapy as well if you don't know your boundaries because a lot of times you may feel like you don't have boundaries, like you're just wide open like (laughs) there <laughs> i was like don't make eye contact <laughs> like this person to <laughs> our left and right i would i have a sign in my office that says let's snuggle and unpack our trauma but when you're like unpack your trauma I'm like ew that sounds gross <laughs> <laughs> in theory that sounds great Ew. yeah another thing that is helpful is learning to self-soothe and that's like speaking to your inner child doing things that feel good in your body like yoga being in nature um for me it's like yoga painting being creative journaling um any way that you can really like sit with those uncomfortable feelings and like give them a little home even though you mm-hmm. want to put them in the closet that's like, not, not the di- whole yeah like not distract from them but yeah like not distract from them space. but create space to feel them um yeah and then also check out the body keeps the score which is a great book awesome what what would you say to someone because what i hear a lot if i'm like listen if this has happened i recommend like maybe doing some therapy some processing with someone who has experience and they're good at it and people will say i don't i just don't want to relive that like i'm not going to relive that i don't want to relive that moment i don't want to think about it i just don't even want like i think that's that's their right to feel that but i also mm -hmm. feel like in this is a warning that 
even if you don't want to intentionally feel that and unpack it, um, because you do feel the feelings again when you're doing that, it may come out at a worse time. And so just Mm -hmm. have that as a warning. Like you totally have the right to not do that. And you said that you didn't do that. Like you thought you were processing, but you never went through the the whole thing of going to therapy until things kept getting more Mm -hmm. and more and you had already had your three children. Um, So just people deserve to know that it may come out at the time when you don't want it to, like when you're giving birth and so then yeah, you, you can, can put it off as long as your body lets you. Yeah. But it's going to catch up with you one day. And my motivating factor for sticking with it is my kids because I believe that trauma is generational. And that's mm-hmm. something I don't want to pass on to my kids is my own trauma. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's my responsibility mm-hmm. to them to unpack it, which is why I keep going back every Monday at one o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I simultaneously kids, kids, kids. when not look to, to text you. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what's going to happen today? And it's not comfortable and it's not easy. And I have literally not gone through an appointment in the last 18 months that I did not cry. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to do the work and you can't force someone until they're ready. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And I just want to say that you are such a badass. Yeah. You are so amazing. Look at you just talking about generational trauma. Come on. I know, but you're raising like another generation of awesome people that are going to learn to love and not be Mm -hmm. traumatized by it, you know? Yeah. Good job, you. And can I just say I got like the best daughter for me. Like she just picked me and knew exactly what I needed because... I choose you. She could climb the counters and get what she needed at 18 months like she's, <laughs> she's so independent and badass herself and sometimes i'm scared of her at four <laughs> if you're not scared of a four-year-old girl then there's something wrong with you yeah. <laughs> yeah but that's good that's good that's why evie is the way she is too it's it is what it is yeah we owe it to the next generation to um learn to do better I I always say that when it comes to other subjects, but it's like we so often say like, well, this happened to me and I turned out fine or some of us know. Did you? (laughs) Did we turn out fine? I don't usually say that. Right. But (laughs) we're honest about our flaws. Other people do. But then there's always then there's some people who it's like they don't even say that this happened to me and I turned out fine. They're just so admired in their own trauma that they can't even help but relive it through their kids over Mm -hmm. and over again and then yeah but then there's some other people then there's some other people who you can say when you know better you do better I don't want to raise a generation of children who are just good enough like I want to raise a generation of children who are healthier than the generation that preceded them and if every generation could do that like how glorious would that be it would be amazing it would be awesome. It would be awesome. Well, maybe we're we'll, helping. There's maybe one, we two, three, won't get to see that, eight, but ten. hopefully our children will see that continue to just every grow generation. And grow and grow. So, are you just, ready you know. to schedule your therapy appointment, Jess? Yeah, I just have to check with my checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not have any insurance, right? No, no. Um, is there anything else you want to say about like pregnancy, birth, your trauma? Like, is there anything else that? you feel is important to get out there. It doesn't have to be. I just want to, before we close out the episode, ask you that question because you deserve all the space in the world. Thank you. Only until three. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is a good reminder for clients is that they're allowed to take up space Mm -hmm. and giving them 
the space to do so can be really empowering for um, people who have been sexually assaulted. And I want to thank you guys for including me. Mm. I'm honored. Thanks for Thanks your for vulnerability. Being here. Yeah. I want to thank you for including me in your birth because it was a privilege to be there. <laughs> well, you and my daughter were the best parts of it. Aww. Besides the fireworks. <laughs> Jess doesn't cry, but she, if she was going to cry, it'd be like right now. I could see it. It's No, I actually have something in my eye. I kept thinking. She you keeps were, wiping it. I kept thinking you guys were going to think uh-huh. I was wiping tears, but it wasn't. It was actually, I didn't think you were. It was were, like an eye booger. <laughs> I felt the, I felt, I felt, it's just an eye booger. We made it through. We hardly cried at all. Yeah, we I did a good job. Didn't. Hopefully, that means we just it are very a- well balanced and not that we completely minimize everything you were saying with humor. Yeah. No. That's fine. Everything's fine. So, what message do we want to say for all the people out there listening who may have gone through trauma or not? I want to say that, like, you deserve all the space to process and mm-hmm. to somebody t- or multiple somebody's took away your ability to feel like a badass and your ability to realize that you ha- can take up space in the world and you can speak up for yourself and your body is your own and you have the right to take up the space and take that back and take your power back take yes. your birth back take your consent back take all of those things and you have to remember like it's not just you that's worth it it's your kids mm-hmm. it's your daughter it's your sons because you might think that you're strong enough to shoulder what you went through but you're not like you are strong but it's it's evident in all of your relationships and it's Mm -hmm. evident in your birth and your marriage and your everything like it's not just you everyone that you care about deserves for you to be healthy I was gonna say even if you don't have kids like there's somebody who looks up to you so even if you don't have kids like this is important for anybody Mm -hmm. to to do for themselves make our world a better place and just for you to be as happy as you can yes. in the time that you, you are so everyone deserves through this universe happiness as your mom says happiness happiness <laughs> and it's almost three o'clock so we have to end up this episode i yeah, think we, we do. probably should at some point do another one but the only other thing we have to say is thank you chelsea thank you chelsea we love you oh, don't break her glasses break them Ha <laughs> ha